before we do that, before I preach, I thought it was fitting for us to just take a moment to honor and recognize what today really means for us as a country. And um, I've got to be really honest with you. Uh, 9-11 is one of those moments where I often take a step back and <laughs> ask the really bold and honest question, why does it take something so tragic like 9-11 for us to be reminded of unity? And I think it's so important for us to recognize why this series matters in a time like right now, because the truth is, is that we shouldn't wait for next year, 9-11, to start posting and shouting and declaring unity when we should walk out of here today, tomorrow, and every day with an emphasis and focus on bringing unity to humanity. And I believe with all my heart that there's no one else that can do that than Jesus. And it's painful to remember what happened. I know people personally that endured loss at a great level. I've been to the site on multiple occasions. I'm going back there in a couple weeks, to be quite honest with you. It's just a moment for me. But it's a reminder of the work that's still ahead of us as the church, and that is to be a church that is focused and committed to seeing heaven invade the earth, to partner with heaven to bring renewal to the earth so that we can look to our left and our right and we can be united with one another in a way that Christ calls us to, not hoping for a moment and a day where we might be able to stand in unity, but we could see it happen day in and day out if you and I would just commit to showing up. And so let's not forget what today means, but let's also remind ourselves what today presents as an opportunity for us for tomorrow, not 365 days from now, a day where we can declare every day Unity, because we see Jesus moving and living amongst us, in us and through us as the body of Christ. And so as we take a moment to remember what today means, and we honor those who paid the price, and we honor those who put their life on the line to save those that maybe they would have never, ever met, and some of them didn't even get to meet them personally. That's what we do. We remember those who paid the price, but we commit ourselves to being unified every day going forward, not just as the church, but as the body of Christ in the way we're called to. So I thought it would just be fitting to take 30 seconds. It's not enough time, but at least it's a statement and a moment in time where we could just in silence honor and remember those who lost their life and the families who are still mourning the loss and those who paid the price for many. Amen and amen. As we conclude that, po that thought, uh, Isaiah 26, thanks Steve, you're great, man. You can take a seat for a second. We didn't really plan that. Oh, thank you. I was just going to sit on it. <laughs> Isaiah 26 has just been kind of um, stirring me all, all day, really since yesterday. In verse 3, I'm going to read to you out of the message version really quickly. This is not my message. This is just a little encouragement. Uh, People with their minds set on you, you keep completely whole. Steady on their feet because they keep at it and don't quit. Depend on God and keep at it because in the Lord God you have a sure thing. Another translation might actually describe this as perfect peace. I don't know about you, but I could use some perfect peace. And there is no other place to have perfect peace than when our eyes are fixed on our Father in heaven. 
and when we commit ourselves to his ways and we don't give up and we keep running the race and we keep holding out and we keep believing for better days and we keep fixing our eyes on him and we keep crying out to him and we ask him to show us how to be the church in a time like this and we can continue to walk in step with his ways and his purposes so that we might not just experience perfect peace but we might actually be carriers of his perfect peace. And so as we remember today and as we celebrate and we mourn and we look forward, let us do so with our eyes fixed, not on one another, but on our Father in heaven who presents us and offers us perfect peace. Amen? Amen. Okay, here we go. We are uh, in week five of this series called Be Present. If you're a guest with us, uh, you can go to our website and catch up. I would encourage you to do so. Uh, I am not one to boast or brag about my teaching ever, um, but I have to be honest with you, I've re-listened to every message at minimum once for myself, not for anyone, any other reason than just for myself. You know, it's a, a good thing to be ministered to. Pastors need pastors, and pastors need encouragement, and, and um, I found that this series has been both an encouragement, not just to me, but I believe it's been an encouragement to our community. And so this Fifth week of be present, and this whole concept, this whole, this whole thought was a word that I felt like the Lord gave us that it is now the time for us to be a present church, not a louder church or a quieter church, but a present church. And in the course of walking through this process, I felt like the Lord showed me some postures in which we could learn how to truly be present. I spent the first couple weeks uh, talking about this posture of being still uh, right before we went on Sabbath weekend break. Uh, some of our team uh, did a little tag team on uh, the posture of being available. And as I thought I would conclude this series tonight, uh, I felt deeply in my spirit that the Lord was drawing me back to the idea of what it truly means to be still. And so tonight, uh, instead of going forwards or concluding, we're going to go back uh, and I'm going to uh, share a third part in the Be Still posture with a message titled, The Messenger. I, I've discovered that to truly be present, we have to not rush the moment. We have to be patient in the Be Still moments. I, I think this past Sabbath weekend was a great reminder of the need for us to create Be Still moments. We live in a world that's constantly uh, on the go and ready for the next thing and moving and shaking and, you know, doing whatever we can to move past and move on and, and get quick results and quick answers. And we want things faster, better, faster, better all the time. And so when we talk about things like be still, even in the context of learning how to slow down and be still, we find ourselves, me included, looking to rush on and move ahead. Quite honestly, I was looking forward to moving on from this series because I, I thought maybe what God had for us next was even better. But I was reminded and I was humbled in these last few days the importance of not rushing to the next thing when God tells some, some things he wants to tell us and share, us, share with us. What's interesting to me is that we're starting to become known for some things, and I've never set out to be known for anything other than effective at helping you know Jesus and discover his purpose for your life. So if, and that, if that's the case in which we're being known, I'm all for it, but we are being known for being the church that gives people weekends off. 
I, I didn't know that that was something I would be celebrated for, uh, but I, I think it tells me more about the need for people to learn how to slow down and be still and to learn the beautiful art of rest. I can tell you I lived a lifetime almost of not understanding the idea of rest. I used to always tell people I will sleep when I'm dead. It was all green until it was red, and if it was red, I'd duck and just pretend like I didn't see it. I was, ga- I was pedal to the metal all the time, and my wife is up here just cl- like quietly saying, mm-hmm, and amen. And so I can tell you from my own experience that, that this idea of learning how to slow down and to be still so that we can become present in the places and spaces that matter most, it takes practice. And it takes some work. And I think that's what this last weekend, I think that's what I'm hoping and praying people are saying about us. Not that we're just a church that likes to rest all the time. I'm not going to lie. I'm enjoying naps these days. Call it old age. Call it working harder at the gym. I don't know. Jason programmed this ridiculous workout today that, quite honestly, I'm not sure how I'm still standing. But because I took a nap. And I've eaten like 2,000 calories already today. Another way. Nonetheless. But as I've discovered that that in these be still moments, what we have to do is we have to ensure our hearing is tuned in to the right messenger. In in, in our stillness, it, it begs the question, and this is the big question of the night. This is the question for us to consider. This is the question that I will present to us and, and come back to, I think, four times in my notes. What messenger are you listening to? In our effort to learn how to be still and to slow down, to to allow ourselves to learn how to truly be present, the question of the night is, what messenger are you listening to? And I want to take us back to our story of the prophet Elijah. I can't get out of this story. I've I've, I've heard about this man. I've talked about this man. He's referenced in in the moment where Jesus calls his disciples and says, who do they say that that, that I am? And, And some say Moses, some say Elijah, others say one of the prophets or anybody else and so he's recognized right throughout scripture he's one of the most famous names in scripture quite honestly according uh, to to the disciples and so here we are studying this man and I am learning so much more than I ever have just by simply being present in this story and so we're going to go back to to 1 Kings chapter 19 1 Kings chapter 19 if you want to turn with me there and I'm going to read to you out a different version I'm going to read to you out of my wife's version the CSB trying to win some brownie points. I didn't do anything wrong. I just want extra ones in case I do, because I will eventually do something wrong. Just keep some in the bank. Uh, 1 Kings 19, uh, verse 2. I'm going to read it to you in this way. It says, so Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah. Just pause there for a moment. What messenger are you listening to? Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah. And this is, this is what she wanted the messenger to say. May the gods punish me and do so severely if I don't make your life like that the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Let me just clarify what that means. Just in the previous chapter, Elijah was responsible for knocking off 450 of Jezebel's prophets or the prophets of Baal. So essentially she was saying, if I by tomorrow don't kill you like you killed my prophets, it's going to be a bad day. We're all all caught up. Verse 3, then Elijah became afraid. 
and immediately ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba, Sheba, that belonged to Judah, he left his servant there, and he went on a day's journey into the wilderness by himself. He went from mountaintop to being with his servant to complete isolation in a wilderness so far away that no one would know where to find him. He sat down under a broom bush or a broom tree and he prayed that he might die. And he said, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. For I am no better than my ancestors. Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah. Messenger in the Hebrew word is malach, which in this application means one sent with a message. I know, it's earth shattering. <laughs> You're like, wow, really? That's deep. Pastor, that's so good. What, what are we talking about here? Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah. The messenger or the one sent with a message was a message of fear. Well, why do we know that? Because he became afraid and he ran for his life. It was a messenger that was sent or a messenger of suicidal thoughts. He prayed that he might die. It was a messenger of mental or emotional unhealth. He comes to this place where he says, I've had enough. Take my life. It was a messenger of comparison. He, he says, I'm no better than my ancestors. As I'm reading through this over and over and over again, I'm starting to just, to just listen to these words, and I'm starting to connect with some people I've had conversations with. Man, I'm having a moment where I'm starting to connect with my own thoughts and my own emotions and my own roller coaster of a life from time to time. And I'm just awestruck in this moment that, that this is some kind of messenger. This is some kind of messenger with some kind of power, don't you think? Like the kind of messenger that can come and bring such news that would cause you to be so afraid to run for your life and completely eliminate anyone else in your life that could pull you out or encourage you or remind you of who you are. You're in complete isolation to this place now where you're thinking, am I better off not even living? Am I so bad at what I'm called to do? Have I missed it so much that literally the only alternative is for me to end my life? Lord, take it. It's over. I've done everything I know to do to the point where you're now comparing yourselves to the people that came before you. So let me ask you again. And I considered this in my own life, for my own journey, in the spaces and places that I've found myself alone, much like Elijah found himself alone. And I thought maybe it would be a question that you and I could consider tonight. What messenger are you listening to? You see, though, here's the thing. What Paul says, as followers of Jesus, he's specifically writing to the church in Ephesus, he says this in Ephesians 6 and 12, that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. You see, Elijah's struggle wasn't against Jezebel. It wasn't against the messenger. It was the spirit of something. Because Paul goes on to say, but, but our, our struggle is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Now, I know you're thinking that sounds a lot like Lord of the Rings. It's a bit Lord of the Rings-ish. 
But let me just be very clear and let me make this very simple. The enemy simply wants nothing more than for you and I to consider each other enemies. That's what he wants. He wants us to look across the aisle and go, enemy. Oh, you look like you don't look like me. You don't talk like me. Oh, did they get vaxxed? Oh, did they vote for that person? Oh, did they go to that school? Oh, did they cheer for that team? Like everything about our life, our way of living, whether we want to recognize it or not, is about division and separation. Whether we want to come to that same conclusion, it's just facts, y'all. But it is not the school, it is not the person, it is not the people, it is simply a spirit that is trying to divide us and ununite us so that we can be in isolation where the enemy does his greatest work and operates with greatest power. Otherwise, why would Elijah find himself completely alone, miles and miles and miles away from anyone that he knew? You see, in Elijah's case, it wasn't the messenger of Jezebel. It wasn't even Jezebel herself that waged the war on his thoughts, his emotional state, his lack of confidence. It was a spirit of fear. It was a spirit of, I'm not good enough. It was a spirit of, I missed the mark. It was a spirit of, I, what happened? How could it all go so badly so quickly where he started questioning and doubting his very existence to the point where he thought, man, maybe it'd be better off if I wasn't here. Maybe I've done everything I could and this is the time for me to die. It's the spirit of causing him to now compare himself to everyone that came before him. Well, look what they did and look how they accomplished it and look how Abraham did and Isaac and all these guys that came before me and I'm not clearly even in the same ballpark as them. Like they drived and they rode a better donkey than I did. Their, their, their tents were nicer than mine. The presence that they carried, the power that they operated with, clearly I missed something. It, it, was the me- it was the spirit that, 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 that the messenger was just the face of that waged war on his very existence. And it left him gripped with fear, struggling with mental and emotional instability, leading him to consider suicide. And to top it off, he was battling this spirit of comparison. And let me just be really honest. We talked about this in our men's discipleship group this past week. We could all agree that we struggle with comparison. Like, I walked in here struggling with it, like, off the tip. Like, I'm like, Will's boots are fly, man. I want to be wearing boots, but I just don't think it's cold enough yet. Like, I thought about it today. Like, I'm comparing myself to, to Will's shoes. And then Jason's back there making coffees. You've seen his, like, his calves muscles? Like, I got these little chicken things. Like, these little things, right? Like, Jay, put some pants on, man. Like, Like, and Franz's smile, like, man, I, like, I never have a smile like that, dude. That dude just smiles and the whole place lights up. Come on, can we all agree that, there, that there, there's these struggles that we deal with? And it may not be as extreme as Elijah's, but the thing is, is the enemy will use the easiest, simplest thing to create a space and a place where you feel inadequate, insufficient, or not good enough to make you stop and go, hmm. And instead of running to the presence of God or getting around a friend that's going to speak life into you, you're just going to go shrink back. You know, the greatest thing that I can't understand is like whenever somebody's like having a bad day, they're like, oh, I'm just going to stay home. Don't do that. Please don't do that. 
Please don't do that. Like, Pastor, we're not going to come to church tonight. We just had a bad week. Don't do that. Please don't do We're going to not go to discipleship group this week because, you know, we just had a really long day. Please don't do that. The enemy wants to keep you away from God's people. He wants to keep you away from his presence. He wants to keep you away from his power. And I can assure you this. It may be okay once, but twice, three times, four times, you'll find yourself under a broom bush wondering whether or not your life matters and whether it's all over from this moment going forward. I wasn't going to preach. I just wanted to teach this. But you see, the Bible tells us that the enemy is crafty. He's cunning. He's wise. To which my man Peter says in 1 Peter 5 and 8, he says, stay alert. So he says, he says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy. Who? The devil. Let's just be very clear who the enemy is. It is the devil. And he is not some fiery redhead with a pitchfork. And I'm not talking about Amy. She is sweet, kind, and nice. But you heard her. She looked at me side-eyed like, I'm going to cut him. Case in point. He's not, man. He's attractive. He's wise. He's, man, he's cute. He'll slide up in your DMs like you didn't even know. He says, stay alert. The great enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion. Looking for someone to devour. I love lions. I love lions. You know what I love about lions? They're strong. They're powerful. They take a lot of naps. Strong, powerful, take a nap. I'm, I'm in. Sign me up. I want to be a lion when I come back. And they eat a snack. But you know when they eat? At night. At night. I wanted to read to you just this little blurb because you... Because I just wanted you to know I was being serious. Lions hunt at night not because their eyesight is better under low light conditions than that of their prey, but because with stealth, they can probably approach their prey closer at night than during the day. Many antelopes, which is one of the top foods that they like to eat, also store heat in their bodies during the day and release it at the cool of the night, meaning that their muscles work less efficiently at dusk. So they run slower and have less endurance. That would also benefit a lion hunting at night. The devil is like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That's what Peter says in 1 Peter 5 and 8. That word devour is a Greek word, which is katapino, which is to consume, to drown, or to overwhelm you. The enemy is like a roaring lion looking and watching you throughout the day and waiting for the perfect opportunity when you're in the dark, when you're in isolation, when you're by yourself, when you're completely separated from your community, when you've had a bad day and you stay home and you're just sitting in your own thoughts at night, when you're just in that place where you're feeling a little insecure and doubting and questioning some things. He's like a roaring lion looking for someone to consume, to drown, or to overwhelm. You see, Elijah was a man who God had just arguably used in one of the most greatest, with one of the greatest victories for the kingdom of God in human history. Yet the enemy, being so cunning and crafty like a lion seeking to devour him, knew where he was most vulnerable. You see, it's interesting because you think about Eve and the serpent, and it also knew where she was most vulnerable. It also knew where Adam was most vulnerable. 
where Moses was most vulnerable, where David was most vulnerable, and every other human walking the face of the earth, the enemy knows where you are most vulnerable. And he is prowling around like a lion trying to lure you into the dark where the powers of the dark can devour you, consume you. I know that sounds really extreme. You're like, man, I'm not getting mauled by a lion. But just think about it this way, where it can consume you. Have your thoughts ever consumed you to the place where you're sick? Where it can drown you. Have you ever been so overwhelmed like you just feel like you can't get your head above water in any area of life? Come on, I want to, practice, I want to bring this to a practical point where it, where it sits, where it hits, where you can go, yes, that's me. Because there's an answer. Have you ever been to a point where you've just been so overwhelmed? You just get to this point like, I can't take it anymore. It's there where the enemy has the power to wage war on your thoughts and your struggles. And I want to be very clear. This is not a message of doom and dread. I know you're like, Pastor, it's a message of hope and purpose. It's a message of encouragement and invitation, one in which we simply ask the question yet again, what messenger are you listening to? One sent from the devil himself with a message of fear, suicidal thoughts, mental or emotional instability in comparison. One that wants to consume you, drown you, and overwhelm you. Or, as we're about to read into this story, one sent from God our Father in heaven. You see, the same Hebrew word for messenger is also translated to mean angel. A messenger of God. Oh, this is about to get good. Because you thought we were just going to hang out under a broom bush and we were just going to try to figure out how to fight off the messenger that the enemy sent. But watch now. The same word, messenger, is translated to mean angel, a messenger of God. And as we see of Elijah, after he confesses his struggles to the Lord, a new messenger comes on to the scene. Let me show you verse 5. Then he laid down and he slept under the broom tree. Suddenly, an angel a messenger of God, touched him. Oh, come on. That's good. Suddenly, an angel, a messenger of God, touched him. And the angel told him, get up and eat. I love this. He doesn't say stay laying there and just keep sulking and mourning. It doesn't say that Elijah's posture or mindset changed or shifted. The angel just simply came, sent by God, and touched him. And he says, get up and eat. I'm going to say that again. An angel came and just simply touched him and said, get up and eat. There's no doubting. There's no questioning. There's no convicting. There's no calling into the light. He just simply says, yo, how's the nap? Get up and eat. Then he looked, Elijah, and there at his head was a loaf of bread baked over hot stones and a jug of water. So he ate and he drank and it wasn't enough. So what's it say? It says he laid down again. Then the angel, a messenger of God. It says it right there. The angel of the Lord returned for a second time and he touched him and he said, get up and eat. Get up and eat. Some of you are sitting under the broom bush. And the word for you tonight from the, from the Lord is to get up and eat. 
It may not mean that everything's going to be better tomorrow. It may not mean that all of a sudden all of these fears and all of these worries and all of these struggles and all these comparisons and all these doubt and all these uncertainties are just going to go away tomorrow. But the message is simple. Get up and eat. Don't sit in any longer. Don't stay there any longer because the journey will be too much for you. So get up and eat. So he got up, he ate, and he drank. Then on the strength from that food, he walked 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. He didn't even say break down and read it again tomorrow. He just says, this will be enough to sustain you for a 40-day journey. Get up and eat. Get up and eat. This, Jesus says, is the bread of life. This is the word of God. This is God breathed. It is not good for man to live on bread alone, but by every word that is spoken from God. You see, if the messenger that you are listening to isn't providing you with restorative sleep, with rest for your soul, if it's not feeding you with the kind of food that gives you renewed strength and water that revives your life, if it's not protecting you while you restore your mind, body, and soul, then maybe it's time you lay back down and take another nap. You see, the story tells me that if a second nap was good enough for Elijah, then it's good enough for me. That, that if Elijah's dealing with s- some wrong messengers and, and has his own struggles, then who am I to fool myself not to stop and recognize that I might have some as well? That if, if he was vulnerable and he had areas in his life that, that were penetrable, penetra- yeah, that word, vulnerable in his life, that, that, then, then who am I to think that I don't have any of mine? So here's the deal. Here's the deal. Many of us, like I've already admitted, are like, I don't have time for a nap. I don't have time for rest. I have too much to do and too little time. Well, I can assure you of this. A little time is all we have. The question is, what are we going to do with it? It's a fact. A little time is all we have. So we can sit here and we can kill ourselves, running ourselves ragged, ducking and dodging the messengers the devil has sent to take us out and distract us, to cause us to live in a state of fear, beginning to doubt and question our very existence, living in a perpetual state of comparison until finally we give enough power to any one of those struggles, to any one of those messengers that inevitably does what? Takes us out. Maybe instead of ducking and diving and running at a million miles a minute, instead we take a beat and we ask ourselves right now this question once again, but let me pose it to you just a little differently. What messenger am I listening to? What messenger am I listening to? I, I'm, I'm posing it to you not because it's, separ- it's isolating or, or, or dividing me and you. I'm, I'm posing it so that we can all ask that question, but ask it of ourselves. What messenger am I listening to? Is it a messenger that's causing you to struggle with fear? Is it a messenger that's, that's made you even consider suicidal thoughts? Let me tell you, I, I know what that feels like. Man, I, 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 would, I would hate, I said this to the guys the other night, I would hate that there's any person in, in my life that God's placed on my path that is sitting under a broom brush struggling with any of these things by themselves. 
I would hate it. I hate the idea of it. And I would surely hate that there's anybody considering whether or not they don't matter and that they, this world would be better off without you. Can I just tell you right now, that is a bold-faced lie. And let me just go as far as saying that is nothing short of the enemy trying to convince you and confuse you to think that you don't matter. You are a son. You are a daughter of God. And he created you for a purpose for such a time as this. If he wanted you 20 years ago, he would have birthed you 20 years ago. If he wanted you 20 years later, he would have waited 20 years later. But he birthed you for right now. Is it a messenger that's causing you mental and emotional instability? I'm not trying to make light of any of this. This is serious stuff. I've lost friends to this stuff. I know pastors that have lost. I know CEOs. I know janitors. I know teachers. I know moms. I know dads who have lost their life to this stuff. I'm not playing around here. And I don't think Jesus wants us to. But he wants us to remind you that an angel can simply come, sent by God, and I'm praying that tonight that might be the moment that he would come right now and touch you where you are. And instead of leaving you feeling overwhelmed, he'd leave you feeling loved. Instead of you feeling drowned, you'd feel support. Instead of feeling like you're completely and utterly consumed by life with nothing to show for it, You'd feel the peace of God, the perfect peace that is only possible through him. I'm praying and believing that maybe an angel, a messenger of God would come. And tonight he'd be sent to restore your soul. To give you food to eat and water to drink. That he'd come and he'd, he'd give you the kind of food and water that renews your strength. That fills your heart and mind with dreams of purpose. That it would not be a messenger that haunts your dreams with dread, but it would be a messenger that restores and renews your mind to once again believe that God does have a plan for you. It may not all make sense right now. It may not all make sense tomorrow. But the touch would be enough to just give you the strength to get up and eat and to take steps forward for the journey that he has for you right now in this moment. Could I ask you to stand with me? I love what Jesus, Jesus does one of the most beautiful things in Matthew chapter 11. This is what he asks. And I believe it's the same for us right here, right now. Eugene Patterson, I think, pens it so beautifully. He says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? He says, come to me. Get away with me. And you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. He says, walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Simply put, he says, keep company with me. And you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Can I just ask you to close your eyes? I'm just going to ask, is that you? Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burnt out on religion? 
Have you been listening to the messengers of fear, worry, doubt, mental and emotional instability? You, you've been comparing yourself? Then maybe it's time that you be still. Time to, it's time for you to get away with him and recover your life, to learn the unforced rhythms of his grace, to learn to keep company with him so that you can learn to live freely and lightly. Hey, listen, I don't want to call anybody out. I don't want to embarrass anybody. But I, I don't want to leave here without having the opportunity to pray for and pray with anyone here tonight that is struggling with fear. Anyone here that is struggling with th thoughts of suicide. Anyone here that is currently dealing with emotional and mental instability. Your emotional and mental state has just been rocky the last little while. Or maybe you're struggling with comparison. You're drowning. You're, you're overwhelmed. If that's you, I, I'm just going to ask everyone to close your eyes. If that's you, would you just do something very bold and would you just lift your hands to heaven right now? I'm struggling with fear. I'm struggling with thoughts of suicide. I, I'm, I'm a mental and emotional wreck right now. I, I'm, man, comparison has got a grip on me so hard right now that I, man, I'm questioning my very existence, my identity. I'm tired. I'm worn out with all of these struggles. If that's you, just right now in this place, if that's you, every eye closed, just lift your hands to heaven. That's, just get bold before God. This is your moment. This is your broom bush moment where it's no longer the messenger sent by Jezebel, by the devil. It's no longer a lion prowling around in the dark trying to get you isolated on your own. This is now a moment where I believe the Lord is sending an angel, his messenger, to touch you. Right now in this moment, to touch you right where you are. He wants to touch you right where you are. He wants to encourage you. He wants to renew your strength. He wants to renew your mind. He wants to replace your fear with hope. He wants to replace your questioning of your very existence with a sense of purpose. He, he wants to heal and restore your mental and emotional state back to a healthy place. He, he wants to eliminate this, this, this struggle of comparison and help you to see who he's called and created you to be. He wants you to be able to look at the mirror and be in love with the person he's called and created, the son or daughter in whom he's created. He loves you that much that he wants you to see his reflection when you look in the mirror. So that right now in this moment, if that's you, every hand raised, Father, I pray that you'd send your angels, your messengers, and that whatever that feeling is, whatever that struggle might be, you know the hearts, the minds of every one of us here. And I pray you'd meet us right where we are. And Father, you would cancel the assignment of the enemy, that it would be canceled in Jesus' name. Every, every messenger sent to cause us to fear, to question, to doubt, to live trapped in comparison, I pray be canceled in the name of Jesus. I pray that just at the sound of, and at the taste and of the smell of heaven right now invading this room, I pray that every enemy, every dark spirit would leave this place in Jesus' name. That every shackle would be broken. That every grip would be released. That every fear would be, that would be a sense of peace. Where, wherever there is fear, God, I pray there would be joy. Wherever there is doubt, I pray there would be certainty. I thank you for it right now in Jesus' name, that you're sending angels right now to each and every one of us, and they're touching us in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father, for the gift of your Holy Spirit that has the ability to meet each and every one of us right where we are. 
Just stay in this place. Just stay in this place. Father, I thank you for this moment. I thank you for the healing that's happening right now in this moment. I thank you for the shackles that are being broken. I thank you for the spirit of fear that's being removed. I thank you for those who have been considering suicide. I thank you right now, Father, there is a peace coming over each and every one of us. That where there was a doubt about our very existence, it is now beginning to be replaced with a reminder that we are sons and daughter of God and that he loves us no matter how bad it is, no matter how messed up it might have been, no matter how difficult the circumstance or the situation is, I pray, Father, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, healing is happening. Restorative healing, renewal is happening in the hearts and the minds of every son and every daughter in this room. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, Amen. You see, church, we're not in a hurry here. We're not trying to rush anything. We are simply about following the leading of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that with all my heart, the more time we take learning to be still, we will actually find that we will be present more than we have ever been before. And I think it's funny how that works. Learning to be still. Learning to get into the presence of God and be healed be restored and renewed, we actually become present just the way he designed us to be present. So tonight I pray that each and every one of us that encountered a touch from heaven that that raised our hands boldly and maybe some of us who just made a move towards God because we just needed, a, we needed something. I pray that, that your something was met with a touch from heaven didn't solve all your problems. It didn't take away all your cares. But it left you feeling more at peace than you've ever felt. It felt you, it, it left you feeling a bit hopeful. It left you feeling like you had enough strength to take the next step on the journey of this thing called life. So, Father, I pray that as we leave here tonight, you'd go before us. You'd go with us. You'd surround us with those angels. And you'd keep us safe. And then as we fix our eyes on you, Father, we would experience perfect peace. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, hey, really seriously, if that is you, in any one of those struggles you're really battling, and it's at a point where you're really, 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 really stuck, you feel trapped, and you need somebody to talk to, I'm not, this isn't embarrass you. I would love for you to feel empowered to reach out to me personally. I, I mean it. I, 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 couldn't, I just could not imagine you being in that place by yourself and not having somebody to talk to. I don't have the answers, and I'm not going to pretend to, but I promise you I'll sit with you, and I will pray with you, and I will be a friend to you, if nothing else, so that you might see Jesus and know him like I do. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you, church. Let's be still.